This episode of the Incredible Hulk podcast, we are talking about half the room thinks you're full of shit. And I think you're going to have a blast checking this out. There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The Incredible Halt Podcast. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret. I'm always angry. Don't tell television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. The Incredible Halt. Besides, nobody's getting hurt. Podcast. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it. Hear the music. All right, friends, it is another podcast, and this time around we're talking about Half the Room Thinks You're Full of Shit, and where does that name come from? Well, so if we go back a decade, I started teaching at Aquinas on essentially two weeks' notice, right? And so I'm walking into my first college class teaching intro to communication and mass media, and to say I am terrified is an absolute understatement. But right before I go in, uh, my friend Phil Tower, who I was filling in for at that point, gave me some awesome advice. He said, hey, look, you need to get up in front of the class and you need to kind of take stock of who is in the room. And what you're going to find is there's going to be a handful of people that are already into what you're doing, meaning they're there because they're super excited about the material and they want to learn from you. And this is your chance to get them on your side. The rest of the class could go either way, right? They could hate you. They could not care about the subject matter. They could not want to be there. They could think you're full of shit, right? So what I discovered over the course of 10 years is that you usually start with about eight students. If you got a class of 30, about eight of them are super into what you're doing or there because they really want to hear your point of view. And then your job is to sort of win the rest of the class over or at the very least keep them engaged for a whole semester, right? Four hours at a time. I was teaching night classes at the time. So four hours at a time, keep them engaged and keep them coming back. And then at some point, you might get these amazing moments where students you thought weren't paying attention were paying attention the entire time and they come and say something profound to you and you go, oh man, wow, that was... That really makes doing this thing special, and I want to do this thing again. I share that with you because this week, my mother came to me on Monday, so a week ago today, and said, hey, I'm doing this talk on Sunday. Uh, I know you've been doing a bunch of them, uh, and if you have not been paying attention to my calendar, that's okay, because neither have I. No, I'm kidding. Um, I've been busy. I did 22 speaking engagements in the month of October. My last one actually is uh, semi-officially on Wednesday of this week, and then the season sort of winds down to almost a complete halt. And then we take a break for holidays and we're right back at it. But I've been busy all October. So I've been doing a lot of talking, which is my absolute, and I mean, absolute favorite thing on earth to do. Anytime I can get in front of people and do any sort of teaching, it is my favorite, favorite thing to do. Let me take a quick sip. We are doing the boss tweed today. So, um, so she's like, hey, do you have any advice? And I said, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple things that I've been noticing um, now that I've, I've kind of got a uh, condensed version of doing a lot of this all in a tiny time frame, right? And I said, the one thing that I've been trying to do is understand that everybody's time is valuable. And if they came to a speaking engagement, if they came to a consultation, if they came to a talk, if they came to your event... They're coming there with the expectation that you're not 
going to waste their time. So the very first thing I do is go, okay, how can I build an hour long talk that doesn't waste their time? In my mom's case, I think she had 30 minutes. So how can I build a 30 minute conversation that doesn't waste your time? And then the next thing I told her was the advice that Phil Tower gave me. I said, look, you're going to walk into this space, whatever this space is. Um, it can be a classroom. It could be a gymnasium. It could be a giant stage. And you've got to take stock immediately of who is in that room. And you're going to find a couple eyeballs that are super friendly. And they're going to be your friends. There's your anchors out in the crowd that you can look to and go, okay, you're, you're still tracking along. You're into what I'm doing. You like what I'm saying or you're giving me some feedback where I can pivot, right? Like I either need to go back and re-explain that point, or I need to double down on that point, or I need to move along because that one just didn't work. And in some cases, when you're doing any sort of public speaking, you might not have that chance, right? You might not have the chance to do the same talk multiple times. And if that's the case, you might not have a chance to pivot or adjust or mess around with the material. One of my favorite things to do when I have the opportunity, and this happened when I started working at the the Story Church about five years ago, is to be able to watch a pastor do two sermons in a row and watch how they're able to iterate from one to the next. And any time I can be in a, a, a church atmosphere or a business atmosphere where somebody is doing two events in a row, like I was uh, at a an event in Owasso right at the beginning of October, and Josh Linkner was there from Detroit. If you don't know him, look him up. Um, he's an amazing human being, and he specializes in creativity and innovation. Those are the two things that he writes about a lot. And I had the opportunity to see him do two different keynotes in the same day. And for me, as somebody who loves this art form, there is no better class than to watch a world-class speaker do it twice. And in this particular case, he had a thing that I'm good. I I didn't ask him about it, right? Because we don't have the relationship, right? I didn't ask him about it. But There was a clear moment in the first presentation where he didn't like how it landed and he pivoted to fix it in the second one. And man, that stuff is absolutely breathtaking to watch happen, to watch somebody just kind of pivot and and go, okay, that didn't work doing it this way. I need to go slower. I need to go faster. I need to be louder. I need to be softer, making all the adjustments to make sure that the next time you deliver that line, it lands the exact way that you want it to. And then after that, you're putting out into the, uh, you're putting art out into the world is what I'm trying to say, right? You're putting it out there and whatever happens to it at that point, you did your best, right? You dropped the joke the best that you possibly could. You dropped the knowledge that the best that you could. And then the rest is sort of up to the audience. And when you get in front of these audiences, right, you, you can have a, kind of a mismatch of a bunch of different types of audiences. There can be, like I said, an audience of people who are really excited to see you there. There can be an audience where they're half and half, really excited to see you there. They're forced to be there for some reason, or they don't really want you there, but somebody in your leadership or whoever has invited you. And so there you've got to kind of make the best that you can. But as you start to speak, And as you start to make connections in real time, you can see people coming over to your, we'll use the word, right? Coming over to your side and giving you energy. And so I was saying to my mom, you got to make sure that one, 
you're not going to waste their time because that's the fastest way to tune them out, right? If they feel like it's a waste of time, I I literally got a a message last week after an event of somebody thanking me and saying, you know, I I don't typically like these sort of trainings because they tend to be boring or they tend to waste my time and yours did not. And, And that, again, that sort of feedback, when somebody takes the moment to give you any feedback, hey, I think you could have done this better or hey, I didn't understand this point or they give you something nice and say, hey, I'm glad you came because I got a lot of value out of that. Take that stuff and put it into the next talk. So don't waste anybody's time and understand that there's going to be people in the audience that might not necessarily be on your side from the jump off. So find the people who are already primed to be on your side and speak to them and bring the, the rest of the group along. The next thing I told her, I said, you got to know your stuff. If you're going to stand up in front of people, and if you have been in school in the last 15 years, when PowerPoint has taken over the universe, you know where I'm going with this. There is nothing, and I mean nothing, to disconnect yourself from your audience faster than putting more than six words on a slide and then reading it to them. The assumption, friends, is that the people in the audience can read it. And if you're just going to read it to them, your presentation could have been an email. And what a tragedy that is. And so I said, look, you got to do as many images as you possibly can and as little text as humanly possible. And then know your stuff as cold as you possibly can. Uh, I come from a radio background. So improv and making stuff up on the fly has sort of been a thing that I've been crafting for call it 20 or 25 years. And so when I started to do this more for MLive, I wanted to bring that along with me. And I wanted to make sure that if I got up in front of a group for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, that I wasn't holding note cards, I wasn't reading notes, and I knew what I was doing. And so uh, I'll give you a real quick peek behind the the counter, right? A peek behind the curtain. I'll show you how the sausage is made for me. This is not how everybody works, but this is how I work. So I will build decks with visual cues that help the audience either laugh, uh, transition into the next point of view, um, feel an emotion other than laughter, whatever I'm looking for. I make them angry, make them question. I'll put an image up there. That image is partly for them, but that image is also a visual cue for me to move on to the next thing. It's for me, it's a point in the presentation for me to know that I've gone from point A to point B and off we go. And so I will spend a ton of time messing around with the deck. And this is one of the few times that my mother is using a deck. And my mother, for some context that I probably should have given you 10 minutes ago, she teaches Tai Chi. So the martial art of Tai Chi, she teaches that. And in this case, she was asked to do a presentation of a part of the form that really needs a lot of visual representation. So not only was she going to bring people up, do some demonstration, have the crowd be part of the demonstration. So all things that will, you know, lean you towards success, right? Because you're bringing people into the presentation and getting them involved. And then of course she wanted to have some slides. And I said, look, you got to make sure that they're heavy on the visuals, little on the text and please sweet baby Jesus do not, do not read it to them because that's the fastest way. And you, as you're hearing this, you're probably thinking to yourself, 
I was in a presentation yesterday where somebody stood up and gave a sales presentation, gave an internal presentation, taught a class, uh, whatever it is, where they just put lots of text up on a slide and they turn their back to you and then they read it to you, right? Know your stuff cold. And in the case of when you're teaching a long form class, four hours or so, there are going to be moments where you have to put that much stuff up there, especially one of the reasons I would do that when I was teaching is I was giving the decks to the students. And so I wanted to have some slides up there with context so that if they were taking it to study, they could read that stuff. But I wouldn't in the presentation stop, turn my back to them and read what was on the slide. I had a different story that I would tell them while the slide was up. And then when they took the slide, hopefully they would connect those two things together. But uh, my friend Nick um, gave me this compliment probably two years ago, and it's one of my favorite things anyone had ever said about me because um, <laughs> to me, it quintessentially celebrates what is unique and weird about me. And he was looking at one of my decks because I, I often send my decks to him to kind of get his vibe his design aesthetic on what I'm working on and see if he likes what I'm doing. What should I change? Where does it slow down visually? Where does it fall apart visually? And he said, you know, if you were to walk in the woods today and any story that starts out with, hey, if you were to walk in the woods, you know, you're on a great path. If the story starts with, hey, if you were on a walk in the woods and you stumbled upon a guy who was still an expert in the weaponry known as the combat yo-yo. That would be you, Eric, in what you're doing with PowerPoint. And by that, he means, uh, if you haven't seen one of these decks, uh, you can check them out on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, I mean, I'm using GIFs or GIFs, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'm calling them GIFs. Don't at me. Um, I'm putting actual videos that I've created using green screens and technologies. So if a TV is on, it's got something playing on the TV while somebody's holding a device, a phone, a tablet, something else is playing inside the tablet. So I'm doing all of those things to push PowerPoint to its absolute maximum because I still feel like that medium is the easiest medium to make sure works in all spaces. I've used Emaze, I've used Prezi. Um, and the problem with those is both of them tend, unless you want to have a subscription, tend to need some sort of Wi-Fi connection, which in some of the places where I'm speaking, they don't have a Wi-Fi connection. So I wanted to pick a technology that, although a bit archaic and certainly has not necessarily kept up with the times, was malleable enough that I could shove something into it that it's not really meant to do. I mean, most people, when they ask for my deck, aren't necessarily looking for a six gig presentation, which some of them tend to be when it's all said and done. They're not necessarily looking for that, but that's how I want to do it because I, I want to make sure that when you are there, you're having a good time, you're learning something, and it's visually appealing to you. It looks different than anything else that you've seen. And so we were talking about what are you going to make aesthetically and, and how is that going to pay off? And it was interesting because this past week I did five events over the course of the whole week. And one of these events, um, I had to take an hour-long presentation and at the last minute kind of trim it down to 30 minutes which was fine. I've done the presentation a bunch of times. So trimming it down was fine. And I got through the material I was trying to get through. And I was using the premise of like, look, half the room is going to think you're bullshit, right? Like you've got to win them over. And then you find the people 
that are on your side and you lean into them. And, and I did that and I thought it went really, really well. And uh, one of the things that always surprises me is there is, I, I referred to it earlier with when I was teaching in college, there's a kid who you don't think is listening. And at the end of the semester, he comes up and essentially recites everything that you had been talking about because he's been paying attention the whole time. He just wasn't engaging in the way that you thought he was engaging. And you underestimated him, misrepresented him, however you want to frame that, but you didn't get a good bead on that person. And then they surprise you. And the very same thing happened this past week. So this gentleman comes up to me, he's probably late 60s, early 70s, and he says to me, he says, you know what, uh, this was this is really good and, and is really pushing me to go start executing stuff in social because I've been doing this particular art of mine for 50 odd years. Um, and I, I just never knew what part of my art could translate to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever, right? He, he works in an entertainment field. And I, I said to him, I said, okay, so you're 52 years into this. Yeah. He's like, yeah. It's like, you're really good at telling stories. And, and he had done a presentation earlier that day and I didn't, I'd never met him. And he was very good at giving, giving a presentation, telling a story. I said, if we were to rewind the clock, I was to meet you 52 years and one day earlier how good would you be at this art you're doing? And he's like, well, I would suck. That's the game we're playing right now. So jump in, start making stuff, and down the road you will get better and faster and quicker. And since you have an entertainment background, your ability to tell stories will help you make that, that leap into social, that leap into digital, that leap into wherever you want to go. And what struck me was he would have been somebody that if I looked out at the audience, I would have been like, well... I don't, I mean, I don't know that he and I are necessarily going to connect that quickly in 30 short minutes, but you never know. And the reason you don't know is because people learn differently. You know, they, they learn in, in three different fashions, visually, which is of course why everybody uses PowerPoint correctly or incorrectly. We learn with audio. We learn by listening. Uh, and then kinesthetically, we, we learn by actually doing the thing, which is my preferred method. So um, I, I joke, right? If you want to know when the last time I was on a webinar, you can just check my credit card statement and my Instagram consumption. And I've likely purchased something on Instagram during that moment. Because for me, it's not that webinars aren't good. Webinars just don't work for me because I would much rather jump in and play and then use the webinar second, right? I would, how does this technology or whatever you're rolling out, right? Like, how does this thing work? Let me play with it. And then I will watch the webinar to kind of refine my skills and get quicker, faster, all of those things. Because that's just how I learn. There, there's somebody next to me, right? I'm sure PowerPoint is awesome for them. There's a person next to them where they learn from podcasts. There's a person next to them where they learn with all three. Those people are in all of the rooms that you might be speaking in. They're in all of them. And so if we approach those with, I'm not going to waste your time. I have studied the material, so I know what I'm talking about. I've built a presentation that is engaging, visually stimulating, and has some sort of entertainment. And I'll use that in air quotes, right? Because not every, not every room 
needs entertainment. I'm doing an event later this week for the Michigan Manufacturing Awards. It's an award ceremony with an amazing group of people celebrating the amazing manufacturing that's happening in Michigan. That's not a place where it needs jokes, right? It needs maybe some lightheartedness. Um, but again, my my view on being an MC is that you want to be there to make sure everything goes seamlessly. But if you've done it correctly, they don't really remember who you are because it should shine on all the, um, the people who are nominated or the people who won their awards. So as a great MC, your job, I feel, is to play air traffic controller and get out of the way. And so that's that's an area where I'm not looking to put any jokes in the script that they have provided me. I'm looking to go, okay, where can I make seamless transitions between things to make sure that this goes according to plan? That is my job in that space. Where a day earlier when I'm in Flint doing one of the last keynotes, I'm, I'm talking about LinkedIn, that talk um, is sort of crazy. I mean, uh, I, I've got the talk sort of, we start talking about the cooking technique of sous vide and we end talking about microbiomes in dirt. And at this point, you're probably shaking your head, which is good, but that's the stuff that I like to do. That's the space I like to play. And if I can get into a room where they will let me play in that way, I have a ton of fun. I love, literally love public speaking. And so it was so fun for my mom to be like, hey, so do you have any advice? And I called her today, which was the day after the event. And I was like, how did it go? Um, and she's like, you know what? Your, your advice really helped because um, nothing really went according to plan. And I said, ah, yes, the nothing went according to plan day. And for her, like my mother is not a big fan of microphones. She pretends, pretends, she prefers, I should say, to do things just out loud, right? She does not want to hold a microphone. Um, she's okay with the over ear um, presentation thing that you've seen in every TED talk that you've ever watched and less okay with a lavalier mic. So the microphone that clips on your shirt, and, but she shows up, they try to hand her a handheld microphone and the guy immediately knows, sees that, that like, that's not going to be my mom's jam. So he has an over ear one. So he gets that thing set up and she's like, I didn't even panic when he did that. And then <laughs> They put her on stage and she was supposed to go on at 3.30. She ends up going on in some place after 4 o'clock because everything runs over because that's just what happens in the event space. And so while she's speaking, they're sort of cleaning up while that's happening. And she's like, I, I just pushed through. And I said, that's, you know, to me, that's where you, you learn the best is when everything goes wrong and you can still do the work, that's where... I mean, to me, that's where the magic happens, right? It's awesome when somebody comes up and gives you some actual feedback because that not only can hopefully change their trajectory, send them on a path where they're doing amazing work, but for you, it uh, helps push you along. And I entitled this episode, Half the Room Thinks You're Bullshit, because when I go into those rooms, I immediately push that stuff out of my... If I go into it thinking, okay, if half the room already thinks I'm full of it, the rest of the job is easy. I don't have to worry about what people don't like because I've already gone, okay, half of you don't like it before we even start. Now I can just focus on the people that like it, which allows me to be surprised when people come up and say things that I, I wasn't expecting that person to be into it or this person to who I thought was sleeping to pay attention. And I don't have the voices in my head 
when I'm trying to figure out, ooh, did, did they like that? Uh, did that thing work? I will do that afterwards when I'm driving back from an event. Um, I will drive back usually in complete and utter silence, and I will just think about that stuff. I won't go back and listen to it just like the podcast. I don't listen to the podcast and critique the podcast word by word, pause by pause, sentence by sentence, but I will think about it when I'm done, decompress, and pick out the things that I would like to make better the next time if I get to do this the next time. Meaning, so if I don't have another opportunity in which, you know, if I don't have another opportunity to, let's say, talk about sous vide and microbiomes and dirt, that's fine. But I will pick up things in those two segments that I wrote that work, that I can move on to the next thing and move on to the next insane comparison or analogy that may or may not work. And that's the other thing is when you get a chance to get up in front of people, um, some of the fun is being able to test. And, and that's some of the stuff that I do here on the podcast is some of the stuff that we do in the daily shorts for the M live media group is put some of the stuff out there, put some of the stories out there and see what happens. And when you get feedback from that, build it into the deck, you know, or if you put a story out there and it just doesn't work or a video out there or a podcast and it doesn't work or a written piece and it doesn't take off the way that you thought it, it could, I tend to do a couple things. I either reassess and get rid of it completely, or I've got, I mean, you can see behind me, if you're watching the video, you can see that there's a whole bunch of journals. I just have written piece after written piece after written piece. Some of it has been used or attempted to be used. And some of it has just been sitting there. And so I'll go back to that stuff and look for inspiration. So when somebody asks me, Hey, uh, I want you to talk about how churches could use TikTok. I will, if I get stuck, I'll go back and read some of the stuff that I wrote last year, two years ago, six years ago, a decade ago, and see if there's any inspiration there. And then I'll do all the things that, you know, we've been talking about on this podcast for three years, right? I'll go for a walk. I'll go work out. I'll take the dogs out. I'll go on a trail and then watch the ideas come, write them down, and then get out as soon as possible to start sharing the message and see what happens. Because that to me is where all the fun is. And so it's not that you are disrespectful to the half of the audience that you think thinks you're full of shit. It's that you are doubling down on the people who are already into what you're talking about so that you can serve the room better. Because in those audiences, and this is just for me, in those audiences, just like in life, if you can find people that are going to cheer for you more than you would ever cheer for you, A, that makes the world so much more joy-filled and fun. And B, you can pull from that energy and some magic will happen. In fact, probably a lot of magic will happen. All right. We'll pause it there and we will pick it up uh, this week. I think Adrian Butler is going to stop by at the end of the week, which I'm excited about. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He's launched uh looks like two new podcasts and he's been doing some stuff on Spotify that I want to ask him about. And plus everything that's been happening in the world. I want to talk to him about that. And, um, even if he doesn't show up at the end of the week, because we're working on some scheduling, uh, I've got another podcast coming out late Saturday night, early Sunday, talking all about my discipline. Yeah. Discipline. We'll use that. My discipline of going to the movies every Sunday night. Why do I do it? What does it do? Why do you care? 
We'll do that this week too. All right. It is the Incredible Health Podcast. My name is Eric Hulkerin. You guys have an awesome, awesome evening. <laughs>